Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. All right, so today I want to talk a little bit about the coronavirus or COVID-19 and the panic, the hysteria, the market drop that we've seen over the past couple days. Uh, just to give context, I'm recording this on Monday, March 9th, and this is a bit of a challenge, I think, because to talk about this because there's so much that goes into this complex um, problem. And just at the outset to state, I'm not a physician, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a professional epidemiologist or anything like that, but I do have a PhD in uh, economics and I've done a lot of statistical work. I have uh, published in journals and I understand statistics well enough to understand um, a lot of the issues that are going on here. And I want to talk about kind of the some of the economic issues and risk in, in the way that we're thinking about a lot of this stuff. And there's some high profile personalities that are really getting a big boost out of this, uh, in terms of discussion of risk and, and, uh, that kind of thing, you know, how we know things, there's a lot of, uh, that sort of thing going on too in the discussions. And so I, want to, I want to kind of bring all that together and kind of give my, uh, perspective on it. And I think, what what's going to happen here, I think, is that this is going to come across as sort of big brain centrist uh, kind of thing, which is um, which is fine. Um, and 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 there is uh, the you know maybe that's a bad thing. I think it's fine because sometimes uh, the middle is a good place to be, and sometimes when the, there truly are uh, clowns and jokers to your left and right, you you have to just sort of sit there and. Um, and say what's going on, uh, in a measured tone, uh, because sometimes a measured tone makes sense. So again, like I said, I'm not a physician, I'm not a public health expert, whatever that is. Um, but I do understand statistics and I do understand uncertainty and risk. I'm, I'm very interested in those topics and I've been studying them. So what I want to, <clears throat> what I want to do is just talk through kind of both, both ends of the spectrum and, and why I think there's a good reason to just kind of sit in the middle um, for now. So first of all, I want to say that, of course, acting like nothing is wrong is bad, right? This is a novel virus, meaning that, um, you know, we don't really know how, we don't really know much about it. We know something about coronaviruses in general, but this is a, a, a novel virus. It came from Wuhan, China. I don't know much about the origins of it. I've, I've, I've read over the statistics, um, and stuff like that. And, um, so it's, it's not that there is nothing to worry about. I think the, the general feeling you get, if you look at the death statistics sort of broken down by age and stuff like that is that, you know, if you're really old or if you have a respiratory condition, you know, there's a wor- there's a reason to worry about this. Um, but you know, that's also true about literally everything, right? I mean, if you're over the age of 70, you know, you're more frail than you were 10 years before that. That's just the way that life is, right? We know the average, you know, age of death is in mid mid to late seventies for most people uh, in the Western world, right? And you know that right there is a point to discuss because we're talking about China. You know, we're talking about Wuhan, China. Now, I don't know, you know, what the GDP per capita is in Wuhan, China, but I'm guessing it's probably lower than it is in other places in China and uh, you know, uh, and and the West and potentially that a lot of the people that are dying there from this disease are either old or poor or both. Right. And so that 
um, you know, that has something to do with it, access to hospitals or, um, you know, just general nutrition and all these things, um, you know, will have an impact on this stuff. So acting like there's nothing wrong is bad. Um, you know, you should take precautions, right? People should be washing their hands. Now, not don't overdo it because then you're going to get, you know, dry skin and you're going to expose yourself even, even more to the thing. Um, but if you're, if you're around old people a lot, um, or if you're around them at all, you know, if you plan to be around them soon, uh, then, you know, you want to minimize your exposure to this thing. And I'm, I'm really glad that there's a, you know, a sort of a big concerted effort to do whatever it is we can at the time that we're sitting in. Right. So there's, uh, in some countries they're working on containment on other countries In other countries they are working on mitigation. Um, you know, and, and that's just, uh, that's fine, right? If the disease gets there and it surprises you, you know, it's awful hard to contain, but, um, you know, every country is going to have to deal with this differently. So there is a, there is a reason to think that there is a response there. There's a reason to have some kind of concern, right? And there's a reason to, um, you know, pay attention to how, you know, the people in charge of this sort of thing around you are handling this. You know, if your state health department or your, your county health department or the federal government isn't doing um, enough, then, you know, that's a, that's a cause for concern too, right? Because we, we need, you know, we rely on these people to handle this stuff. And if they're not handling, handling it well, then that's a, that's a valid criticism and it needs to be uh, communicated well. Now, it doesn't need to turn into a full-on crazy panic at all. I mean, there's no re, you know, there's no reason for that, but there certainly is a reason to be concerned. There certainly is a problem and hopefully, you know, with research vaccines, you know, resources put into those types of things, we'll get it handled. And, you know, this will always be part of the, um, this will always be part of life when you're in your seventies and eighties, right? This is just, it's another virus. Um, you know, there are countless viruses. None of us know anything about, um, and, uh, you know, this is, this will always be a concern if you have a, you know, a respiratory condition or something like that, or you're just really old. I mean, that's just the way life is. And so of course there's nothing, there's not, there's no reason to just, you know, eh, it's no big deal. Who cares? But at the same time, uh, you know, you have to understand what's, what's actually happening in front of your face. And so I think what's interesting is that inside of that, inside of what I just said are several issues that I want to try to pull out. Um, so the first one that I want to talk through is this guy, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And I think he's an interesting guy because, uh, I, I do remember when his first book, uh, the black swan came out and he, he hit it really big. And this is back in the 2008, um, you know, recession slash financial crisis. And, you know, he became very famous and I, and I distinctly remember I was in a, I was in an equities class. I was a, I was an undergraduate. And the professor was like, you know, what are we supposed to do? You know, so he's talking about this, this book and, you know, it was a big deal. So he had read it. So, but his comment was, what's this guy telling us to do? Are we just supposed to like rub a Buddha belly? Is that how we're supposed to figure out, um, you know, how to forecast things? You know, cause essentially the black swan, the idea is that, well, you know, all your previous data are telling you that all swans are white and then, lo and behold, you go to some new place and you find a black swan, right? So the whole idea is that like events that are highly unlikely given the data that you have, but there is some kind of chance of them and you under, um, you know, you sort of, you don't, uh, 
you don't think that there's enough, uh, um, you're unable to sort of predict these events, right? Based on the way you're treating the data. Um, and so the, the problem with this, right? And so to try to, <clears throat> to try to make it clear what my professor was trying to say is that, you know, I think you can only beat a model with a better model. Yes, every data analysis is flawed. Every method is flawed. Sure. Um, but just yelling about how models are flawed all the time doesn't get us anywhere, right? So, you, so in other words, what we say is you have to beat a model with a better model. So you got a model that has a flaw in it. Okay, well, make a better one. And if, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine to point out the flaws in the model, but at some point, okay, we understand that there are flaws. Thank you for your service. If you want to come up with something better, let us know when you have that, you know, and, and we'll see if it's better. Um, so th that's, I think, part of this thing is that, you know, Taleb has this grift that he gets on where he just, all he does is yell and scream all the time about the evil experts who don't know anything and they're always telling you they know things and they don't know anything. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, okay, we get it. Right. <laughs> you know, experts don't know as much as they think they do. Fine. What are you adding? Where's the value you're adding at this point? What else are you telling us? You're not telling us anything, not a damn thing. So if, if, if all you're going to say is that, you, you know, in other words, you know, criticism is fine, but, you know, at some point it needs to be constructive. And the only way for it to be constructive in the context of, you know, models and data is better models or better data. And if you don't have it, then, you know, at some point you have to exit the conversation. So I think that pretty much addresses him. I don't, I don't, I don't think that his, his shrieking is really worth talking about more than that. There are a lot of people who super love this guy who are obsessed with them. Um, or who at least kind of have built most of what they know about risk um, and economic data and stuff like that around his views. And I'm not saying he's wrong about everything, but he's definitely sort of a perma bear, um, you know, someone who's just always looking for the next, you know, well, the, you know, the, the next crisis is right around the corner, you know. Um, and, and so he, he just gets a huge kick out of that, it seems. And, um, he has a ton of people who, who really don't, who, who don't know anything but Taleb. They don't, they haven't looked at anything else. And, uh, so that's, you know, I, you know, and again, like I said, he's not wrong about everything. And some people are certainly willing to entertain, you know, critiques of the guy. Fine. Um, so what I will say is that, you know, I think that's the other end of the spectrum is you have this, you know, oh, well, nothing's wrong. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, that's not, that's not true. But on the other hand, you know, this is not um, going to kill a hundred million people. I mean, that's just ridiculous. There's no reason to think that that's the case. Um, and I, and I, and I want to point out why that is the case. So Taleb, you know, his whole shtick is, this, um, you know, shrieking about, uh, you know, how bad, you know, fields like epidemiology are, right? Observational data-based, um, you know, analysis is. But here's the thing, is that sometimes we have better data. Um, we have data that's better than observational epidemiology statistics, which, like, I mean, I, I fully grant, you know, those are terrible. Um, you know, so much of what we think we know about medicine 
is derived from discussions of, um, you know, is, is derived from epidemiology, uh, that's, that's population or, or observational based. And it's, and it's just not, isn't nearly as reliable as you think it is. So, I mean, that's totally true, but what's really interesting, and I'm going to link to this article in slate, which I wouldn't normally link to anything from slate. But uh, Jeremy Samuel Faust is a Harvard Medical School professor who um, has put together a short little article that you can read. And the title of it is uh, COVID-19 isn't as deadly as we think. Don't hoard masks and food. Figure out how to help seniors and the immunosuppressed stay healthy. Which, again, you know, sort of what I was saying before, right? Don't freak out. Don't spend $200 on masks. Just chill out and help old people stay healthy. If you can help them by, you know, paying their heating bill so they can, you know, miss work, you know, if they're sick and the other, they're, you know, whatever, right? Um, do practical stuff that you can handle. Um, and yeah, it makes total sense to me. And so the, the story that he tells in here is he, he says, you know, we get as, as, as close as we can get to a controlled experiment um, with stuff like this, it was the the Diamond Princess cruise. And if you remember, I'm not sure when it was during February, but this cruise ship, um, one person with COVID-19 had, had been on the ship. And I'm not going to get the, the statistics totally correct because I'm not going to be able to find it in the article right away. But um, it'll probably take you five five or six minutes to, to read this article. Um, so please read it. It's not very long. Um, you know, so this one person shows up and, um, that person, um, ends up infecting something like 700. Oh, so there it is. 705 people tested positive as of March 4th as uh, when this article was written, 705 people tested positive for the disease. Um, due to that one person who was on the ship, there were 3,711 people on board. Okay. So considering the fact that this is a cruise ship and, you know, everybody's confined and, you know, the, the air sort of recirculates between the rooms and you can't really stay away from people very easily. Cruise ships are gross. They're dirty. Um, you know, these people, and as he says in here, these people were likely getting a massive dose of this virus. Like they were probably getting reinfected over and over and over on this ship um, while they were on it. And so here's the thing. So then, you know, this was, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the ship uh, had docked or whatever. So six people ended up dying out of 705 people. Now, is that, is that okay? Is that a good thing that six people died? No, it's terrible. It's awful that those six people died. It shouldn't have happened, you know, in a better world. You know, this disease would not have traveled as it did uh, from China. You know, the Chinese Chinese folks would have kept it and they wouldn't have spread it, but they did. Um, but let's also keep our wits about us here. Six people out of 705 died. All six of those people were older than 70 years old. Not a single person on the Diamond Princess under the age of 70 died. Not a single one. And so what that tells you is that 
if you're in the non-geriatric population, um, you know, it, it is, it is very, very low risk for you. And so here's another piece to bring in. So one of the things that you hear from Taleb and, you know, people who read his stuff is they like this concept of, um, nighty and uncertainty. So night, uh, as in Frank, Frank Knight, who was an economist in the early 20th century. Um, and he was talking about uncertainty in the sense that, um, you know, there's a risk, which you can kind of measure, right? You can come up with a probability based on past data. Um, but nighty and uncertainty is, uh, you know, the possibility that things can change in the future and you don't have a way of looking at the past data and measuring the risk of those things happening, right? So that's what nighty and uncertainty is. It just means, that, you know, you can use data to an extent, but you can't completely predict everything. So that's true. Um, and what, what the Taleb, Taleb and his um, hangers-on will say is that, well, this, um, you know, this lets us know that like none of the data matters, right? We can, we can compile all these statistics, but it doesn't matter. It's a global pandemic. Ah, scream, yell, you know, bathe in Purell every day, never leave your house, uh, right? And all this freak out, um, it's based on this concept of nighting uncertainty, right? It's like, well, we don't actually know. All we have is the previous test statistics, you know, maybe there's stealth infections and, you know, uh, and, and of course when we're talking about spread, yeah, of course that's a problem, right? I mean, you want to quarantine any kind of problem now. I mean, do you, do you literally like put a gun in front of people's doors and force them to stay in their house? I don't know, but you know, so there's, there's, <laughs> there's degrees of, of enforcement of these things, right? Depending on how bad it is. And, and it takes wisdom to, f to figure that out. Um, you know, and, and that's why you have to have the right people in positions of power. Um, so, you know, we don't know how bad this really is, what, what we're always told. And no matter how much time passes, no matter how much data is collected, no matter how much, um, you know, how much math we can do with the statistics we have, um, we, we are always treated to this discussion about nighty and uncertainty. Uh, and this is the perma bear, um, you know, thesis, the perma bear thesis is, um, there's always a recession lurking around the corner and I've predicted a hundred of the last two recessions. Um, so what's, what's interesting about this to me is that actually the uncertainty thing cuts the other direction. So as much as the statistics could understate how dangerous the disease is, it could also overstate it. Okay. And this is addressed in the article that I'm going to link. And essentially what he says is, you know, so if we have, if we try to compute a death rate, right, what we do is we take the number of deaths and divide by the total number of people infected. Right. Well, the problem is that you have to actually figure out what those numbers are going to be. And since the disease is spreading, then it's likely that both of those numbers are going to change, right? The top number, the number of people that died and the bottom number, the number of people infected. But the reality is when you look at a test case, like the diamond princess cruise ship, you, you are able to kind of uh, be a little more confident about the data there. And so what's likely to happen is that there's likely a lot of people who are technically infected with this disease, but they don't even know it their symptoms aren't even bad enough for them to go to a hospital or to go to a clinic and then go to their local, you know, health office and actually get tested for it. And so again, 
nighty and uncertainty rears its ugly head, but in the complete opposite direction of the panic mongering. In the complete opposite direction of that. Right? We have no idea how many people are infected and are not showing symptoms whatsoever. Right? And this is sort of alluded to in some of the statistics, right? Because, you know, influenza, the flu, kills a lot of very, very young people and old people, right? Because they're, you know, their systems aren't ready to handle this, right? Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the words for all this. But what's weird with this particular disease is we have no cases of deaths or very few in, you know, like babies. And it's like, well, why is that? Right? Is it just because of the way the disease works? Sure. Okay, fine. But I got to think there's probably people who aren't showing all of these symptoms. And so they're just not getting counted in that bottom number. Right? And so the thing is, is if that bottom number is understated, right? If the number of cases is actually much, much, much larger then when you take the existing death rate, which is relatively easy to count, hopefully, right? I mean, you can also be uncertain about that, but I, I want to say more about that here in a minute. Like, let's say you can get the death rate mostly right. Well, um, you're, you're going to be far less able to actually count cases of infection without death than you are to count the deaths. It's going to be so much harder to get that bottom number right. And that bottom number could be orders of magnitude larger than you think it is. Right. So if, you know, the World Health Organization comes out and says that the death rate is 4% or 3.4% or whatever, it's probably actually a lot lower than that because they don't have data on all the people that are infected. They don't know. So this whole nighting uncertainty, this whole shrieking that you get from Taleb and his buddies is hilarious because they don't talk about the uncertainty that goes against their panic monitoring at all. Sad. The other thing to mention is that uh, with this uncertainty bit is that counting the deaths is not straightforwardly easy, right? Um, and, and in the article, uh, he uses this term comorbidity, right? So when someone dies um, of some kind of disease or whatever, which I mean, I mean, this is the thing, right? We, we have this term, you know, they died of old age. Well, no, they died because they're really old and something attacked their body and killed them, right? A virus, cancer, uh, you know, a bacteria, whatever, right? But if you're old, you're just more likely to die because you're old, right? Your, your body is, um, is, is, is compromised, right? You're not able to fight things off. And so, if, you know, we, we, we understand this concept of comorbidity very intuitively, right? Because if, you know, comorbidity is just, you know, someone dying of old age. Well, they didn't die of old age. They died of something else. Now, concrete, is there a cause? Sure. Does it really matter that much when they're 85, 90 years old? I don't know. I mean, my, my grandmother, who was uh, in her late 80s, passed um, just a couple years ago. My mom died. Uh, about six months ago at the age of 55. So um, yeah, she had cancer. And see, her, com her, her comorbidity was she had cancer. So they gave her a treatment, chemotherapy. And those two things together massively suppressed her immune system. She got pneumonia and died. So did she die of pneumonia or did she die of cancer? Or did she die of a treatment for cancer? I don't know. I mean, how do you even write... There's uncertainty there. See, this is that same uncertainty thing. We can't pull out these causes. And so even the top number in our death rates, right? Even the top number is very difficult for us to deal with. Um, because 
someone died. Okay, well, what else do we know about that person? Did that person have COPD? Um, you know, did they have cancer? Did they have some other kind of respiratory condition? You know, COPD is one respiratory condition, but they have some other respiratory condition. Um, you know, uh, did they have some other condition that, you know, suppress their immune system somehow, right? Um, did they happen to get influenza and COVID at the same time, right? So many different things in here, right? And here's all this uncertainty. And yet, in the case of the Diamond Princess cruise ship, we can get rid of a lot of that uncertainty. And so what's interesting is the doctor who's uh, writing this piece says, you know, maybe people that go on cruise ships, you know, they're a little bit more healthy than general population because they're at least healthy enough to travel, right? Like if you had a horrible fever and your bones were aching and your joints hurt and everything, you probably would just skip going on a cruise, right? Uh, maybe, maybe not, right? Because some people would say, well, I paid too much for me to not, you know, go on this cruise, blah, blah, blah. And those people, uh, you know, so, so maybe this cruise ship has, you know, in general, people are, are healthier than the, than the general population. Maybe they're not, right? But the point is, the fact that, uh, you know, so, okay, maybe they're all super healthy, and so that's why only the, the old people died. Well, maybe, but, I mean, even then, it still tells you something about comorbidity, right? You pull the statistics from South Korea, China, whatever. By the way, this, the South Korea statistics line up very well with um, the Diamond Princess statistics. It's about the same death rate. Um, you know, something like uh, eight-tenths of a percent, and, I've, and and everyone is old. All the deaths are, uh, well, in South Korea, some of them are in their 60s, but... Um, you know, most of them are in their seventies and eighties. In fact, if I'm remembering, I ever 75% of the deaths in South Korea are age 60 or older. 55% are age 70 or older. So, uh, you know, you, you get an idea about this different from the one you get when you talk to people who are shrieking about it on the internet. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, this is a very interesting article to read because he flat out says, you know, uh, the good news is that we have huge advantages to leverage. We already know all of, uh, all of what he had said before. Um, and have learned it quickly. We know how the virus spreads. We know how long people are contagious. We know the most vulnerable patients are likely to who the most vulnerable patients are likely to be and where they are. Uh, healthy food, healthy people who are hoarding food, masks, and sanit hand sanitizer may feel like they are doing the right thing. But all good intentions aside, these actions probably represent misdirected anxieties. When such efforts are not directly in service of protecting the right people, right, again, very old people or people with, you know, respiratory issues, not only do they miss the point of everything we've learned so far, they may actually unwittingly be squandered, squandering what have suddenly become precious and limited resources. So the point is, if you're healthy and you're 40 years old, you don't need all this stuff. You just need to chill out. Now, if you're around old people all the time, yeah, you, you need to take care of those people and make sure that you don't spread it to them. But that doesn't mean you need to go buy 500 pounds of food and water and bunker down in your house and quit your job and do all this other stupid stuff. So, um, you know, because again, what's so funny about this is if you take this whole, you know, Talebian uncertainty, fear mongering, panic, 
seriously, you actually might end up killing more people yourself because you're over here freaking out by freaking out about a lack of response. You know, you're so mad at the government or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, all of this together, right, shows you that there's there's this this concept of risk and uncertainty that gets applied a certain direction based on what benefits the person who's talking to you. Um, and I'm not saying I have nothing to gain, but I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I have plenty of life insurance. If I die from this condition, I think my family will be just fine. Um, but it's it's just one of these things where there is so much political BS uh, tied up in all these things that if you don't understand the statistics and you're not looking at the data and you don't understand this concept of nighting uncertainty very well, then you're going to think that everything goes one direction uh, according to the the grifters that are screaming about it, when actually, you know, sometimes the the information and the the reasoning and the arguments cut against them. Uh, so I want to address one last thing real quick, which is the market crash downturn. You know, last week um, stocks got beat up pretty bad. The week before was pretty bad, and this week uh, or today, you know, the Dow. Uh, I mean. You know, the Dow, the S&P, 7% drops early this morning, um, recovered a little bit. Um, and oil prices are way down these last couple of weeks. And it's like, well, okay, is is the market crash today, you know, COVID-19 and a lack of government responses and it's not contained and oh no and fear and panic and everything else? Or is it the fact that the Saudis decided to flood the market with oil and not cut their production at all this time? So they could push out the shale oil folks. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm inclined to say both because then I'm covering myself. But I think the reality is uh, it is both. And it's probably this, the, the drop today and how bad it was, was probably more the Saudis than COVID-19. COVID-19 has been kind of priced into an extent for a couple of weeks. Uh, or at least it's been getting priced in for the last couple of weeks. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to think that more of this is the oil issue, uh, today's drop anyway. Um, but, you know, the confluence of the two together, I mean, you know, you could have serious market correction. Or, well, we've already had a serious market correction, but it could get worse. Um, but again, is your retirement, you know, account taking a huge hit uh, for a while? Is that is that as bad as a global pandemic that's going to kill 200 million people or whatever the heck these numbers are, 100 million, 84 million people? Uh, no, it's not. So stop spreading panic. Stop panicking about it. Stop telling everyone that they should panic. You know, take care of yourself. Take care of, you know, the people that are susceptible to this thing. And again, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a public health professional. I'm just saying this is reasonable stuff, right? Um, but please, for the love of Mike, do not, you know, continue to shriek about this on the Internet and get people all worked up. And um, there is just no reason to do that. Nighty and uncertainty is not a reason to scream and yell about things you don't know anything about. Bottom line. So thanks for joining me. Uh, I wanted to, you know, again, just give a little bit of discussion about risk and uncertainty and the things that I know something about uh, statistics wise and all of that. Uh, so I hope you have a great day. If you want to support the show, um, consider listening on the podcast platforms. I have an ad that runs at the end, um, that, that throws a few pennies in, uh, whenever you download it. Um, so I appreciate that. 
there's also, if you want to support me directly, and I do appreciate Rolf, uh, our, is our uh, sole patron at this point, um, that Anchor will let you donate through there. I want to address, uh, I did get the message from another um, person who listens on Anchor. You can, you can leave messages, audio messages on Anchor for me if you want to you know, request something. And he requested that I read, uh, let's see, I, I don't know if I can read the, the Latin is beyond me, but uh, it's a document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith back in 2018. Considerations for an ethical discernment regarding some aspects of the present economic financial system. I was going to talk about that today, but I wanted to get this COVID thing discussed because of this big market drop we had today and the, the continued uh, sort of spread of this can, this disease across the U.S. Um, but I am I am going through it and I am making notes, so I will be getting this this other uh, this other episode on this um, this document out uh, very soon. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Trad Dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.